Money.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to have you with us. We are live, of course, on Sunday nights, and the website is ChristianMoney.com. ChristianMoney.com. Tonight, in our guest segment, Chicago attorney Jeremy Ramsey is here. A lot to talk about, including what happened with Jussie Smollett. So he's found guilty, he's sent to jail, but then he's immediately released from jail because his case is on appeal. And he's out on bond. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the January 6th defendants that are still being held. Some of them under some very precarious circumstances, not having access to their attorneys, allegedly, and and things along those lines. Do they still have due process, even though they were involved with January 6th, allegedly? We'll talk about that. Uh, What about uh, the Chicago police shootings last year? These officers are not going to be charged. The Armad Aubrey case, a lot to get into. That's tonight in our guest segment, starting in just 28 minutes. Next week, we've got with us for the first time an interesting author. His name is Jonathan Brentner. I talked to him this week, and uh, his new book is The Triumph of the Redeemed. And if you're a fan of Bible prophecy, you don't want to miss next week's broadcast as we welcome for the first time Jonathan Brentner to the broadcast. And uh, I don't know if you saw this news story this week, but it looks like we are now officially going to stay on daylight savings time, which I know this has been controversial. Some people like daylight savings time. Some people don't. I honestly don't really care. <laughs> I don't like the idea of of spring forward, fall back, although I don't even remember the phrases. That That's how much I don't like it. Uh, but apparently there will be one more adjustment, which is this coming fall. We will move back to regular time in the fall. But then once daylight savings time comes into effect in 2023, we will stay on daylight savings time. Apparently I was doing some research on this. Apparently there was a a two year period back in the 1970s. It was supposed to be, to be able to save energy somehow that we stayed on daylight savings time for like two years. People hated it. They ended up going off of it. And the problem is in some States, like if you're in a Northern state, Uh, My daughter lives in New Hampshire, and when I visit her uh, in the summer in particular, it's amazing. It'll it'll be like bright as noon at five in the morning, and it'll stay light sometimes until nine o'clock, almost 10 o'clock at night. But then in the winter, they have these really short days that where you only have really five or six hours of daylight. Uh, And that's how it was when I was growing up in Chicago, largely as well. So what you have with daylight savings time is, no kidding, you have kids with flashlights walking to the bus stop in a lot of these Northern States. 
It's not so bad as bad here in Florida. You know, just as they clicked into daylight savings time, it's still dark here pretty late. Like I'm used to getting up with, with the sunrise. So I was used to getting up around six o'clock, six 30. Now I find myself sleeping in a little bit to like seven, maybe seven 15 because the sun is coming up later because of the time change. So in any case, whether you like it or hate it, we're going to be going to it permanently starting about this time next year. So that's uh, something that just happened in the news this week. I saw a movie yesterday, which I really wanted to see because I loved Murder on the Orient Express, which I thought was fantastic. Agatha Christie, right? So they did another one of these movies with Inspector Perot. The same Inspector Perot guy is in this movie also. And this one is called Death on the Nile. And man, was it good. I saw it yesterday. And I'm the first one to trash movies. So you, if you hear my movie, movie reviews, most of the time they're not good, especially lately. In the last few years, there hasn't been very many movies that I've really loved. And I've hit two recently. Death on the Nile was just fantastic. If you love murder mysteries, you will love it. And uh, I also loved the recent uh, Batman, The Batman. I love that one as well. One of my friends uh, sent me a message today and she asked, which would I see uh, the Batman? If you were going to pick one, the Batman or death on the Nile. And I said, well, wow, they were both so good and they're hard to compare because there's totally different genres. But if I had to pick one to see on the big screen, it would have to be Batman. And the other one, you could wait until it comes out on you know, the, the streaming platforms, I, I guess, if you want to, if you had to split the difference and just pick one, but I'll tell you what, they were both fantastic on the big screen and to actually, uh, go aboard this small, uh, cruise ship, which it's almost like a, you know, for a, a small group of passengers, I don't know, maybe there's a hundred passengers on this small cruise ship where the murder takes place and they're actually cruising down the Nile and you get to see what it looks like. It's actually filmed on the Nile, which is really cool. I've never been uh, to Egypt, so it was really neat to uh, be able to watch the cinematography and enjoy that as much as the story and the plot and the murder and who did it in the end. And uh, it, it had all those elements. It was really good. Death on the Nile. Uh, also, one article that is kind of making a resurgence that I wrote. I think I wrote this article a year ago, but it's now uh, becoming super popular again. It's an article on how to get free gas and also how to get a huge amount of cash back on gas. And I share the crazy story of the first time I used this app, I got something like $14 cash back when I pumped, when I, uh, filled up my Jeep with gas. Um, but this is a really neat app and you can save and make money a couple of different ways. So what it does is when you open up the app, and I'm going to tell you how to get to this article in a second, but when you open up the app, it'll show you a map of all the gas stations around you and what the cash back offer is and what the current price is per gallon. So you can kind of do the math quickly and then decide what gas station you're going to go to. So that's going to save you money right there just to know where the best deal is on gas, but then you get to see what the cash back is. So you get cash back, but then there's all also a way in the app to get a referral link and you can share this referral code with your friends. And for every friend that, that signs up and uses the app the first time they use it, that gives you a bonus of 15 cents per gallon cash back on your next fill up. So I've had it happen where literally I've had like 60, 70 cents, even a dollar in cash back 
per gallon I pumped because of referrals that I've gotten uh, where people have referred uh, that I've referred to the app have pumped gas. So it's really cool. And the money that builds up your cash back uh, that can be used towards a lot of different gift cards. I use mine always towards Amazon gift cards and I'm getting now I'm averaging about one to two uh, gift cards every couple of weeks, uh, $10 gift cards just for having this app. And then on top of it, I'm getting, you know, substantially discounted in some cases, you know, it seems like I'm getting like half off uh, per gallon from the cash back that I'm getting. So it's really cool. And if you want to get this app, what you want to do is go to jameslparis.medium.com. That's my blog over at medium. And the highlighted article that you'll see there is this article about uh, this gas app. And it's got my discount code in it and all of that for referrals. JamesLParis.medium.com. Okay, a lot to get into in our new segment tonight, but I want to start out with five lessons, at least to me, that I've picked up on from this Russia-Ukraine war. Five things that have kind of jumped out at me, and I want to rattle these off and give you some of my thoughts on these. Number one, the Russian army does not seem to be all that tough, right? I mean, we're hearing all these stories about tanks breaking down and running out of gas we're hearing about all these top generals getting killed. We're hearing about this little ragtag army, many of which are untrained. They're just regular people with guns uh, in Ukraine, uh, average Ukrainians that are defending their streets and their small villages and are winning against Russian soldiers. And even with all of the military might and technology that Russia has, they're not able to convincingly win any of these battles they're having, which is just remarkable to me. And, I, and I'm starting to wonder if Russia and their military has not been a paper tiger for all of these decades that we have been building up our military in fear of them. And I, I wonder also to what degree this might not apply to the Chinese. I've always said this, that if the Chinese went after Taiwan, the Taiwanese are well-armed, much better-armed than the Ukrainians and they've got uh, fighter jets and everything in Taiwan. And I wonder if there's not a real fear in China that if they tried to take Taiwan, that they wouldn't lose because really fighting in these battles, there is no uh, assurance of an outcome. There really isn't. And that could really expose China. See, you know, I think world politics and military strategy is largely a poker game, isn't it? it? It's what you believe the other side is capable of and what they believe you're capable of. That is largely what these military uh, operations are based on. It's a bluff game. It's a bluff game. It really is. Uh, so number one, I, I, I'm just uh, surprised, actually, the Russian army does not seem that tough at all. Number two, Economic sanctions are just as much war as bullets and bombs. And if you've seen how not only the U.S., but really the world has crippled Russia with these severe economic sanctions, we have a lot of leverage with money that we didn't used to have. And especially the alliances that we have around the world, 
these sanctions that we've put on Russia, not buying their oil anymore, kicking them out of the SWIFT banking system, uh, freezing assets, this has uh, had a, an amazing, amazing impact on the Russian economy. I mean, small things that are really not small, like all the McDonald's closing across Russia. I mean, those are things that affect the average person. And they're saying that the Russian economy will not recover for maybe 10 to 20 years from what's already been done. And the sanctions are not all rolled out yet. There's so much more. So lesson number two, economic sanctions are just as much war as bullets and bombs. And number three, technology is now winning on the battlefield. It's not so much about armor. It's about technology and, and things like drones. And there was a, an amazing story about how the Ukrainians are using Elon Musk's satellite system, the Starlink satellites, to be able to strategically pinpoint and use drones to take out Russian tanks. So we're seeing technology on display on the battlefield technology uh winning over over you know these these big tanks these big convoys of tanks are losing to drones uh, that's another lesson number 4 the supply chain is still a staple of war uh no matter how much war has progressed and how much technology there is soldiers still have to eat they still need toilet paper you still need gas uh, to be put in tanks. You still need bullets and uh, bombs to be brought uh, to the to the uh, front lines. Th this supply chain problem that Russia has, where they're not able to get the supply to the front lines, to the soldiers, this is also where they're losing the war. And this whole logistical nightmare of feeding thousands of soldiers, getting uh, medicine, uh, getting fuel, getting bullets and bombs to the front line uh, without uh, those being lost, uh, you know, in their own uh, battles to get there. Uh, the resupplying, if you will, is a major staple of war that just continues to be an important part of battle. Something you don't really think about, right? When you think about battle, you never really think about, well, who's feeding all those people? And I mean, all the logistics, I mean, I don't know, are there porta potties in war? Uh, probably so. Uh, there, you know, you've got to set up medical uh, field hospitals for people that are injured. They've got to take care of getting the dead bodies removed and taken to mortuaries. Uh, so there's all this logistical stuff that still must take place. And the Russians are failing at that. Number five, this one I found very interesting. We're starting to see some of the very conservative very ultra right wing talk shows starting to turn against Ukraine. This is very interesting to me because right now what we're seeing largely is most Americans are all in for the Ukrainians. You know, we see ourselves in the Ukrainians. We fought our own battle against the superpower of the day, which was England. And we see ourselves in the Ukrainians and we're all in for the Ukrainians, but not everybody. There is this kind of small, super small slice of some of these Internet, in particular, Internet based right wing talk shows that are bringing up the Ukrainians have a corrupt government. Their elections are not legitimate. They Russia has legitimate issues with Ukraine. I find this interesting. 
Um, because even if you were to concede that some of that might be true, I think it's certain some of it probably is true. Uh, we all we know that uh, Hunter Biden had his dirty deal uh, with Ukraine. So we do know that uh, a Ukrainian prosecutor can be fired when money is involved. We, we know that they don't have the developed democracy that we have here. We know that. So I, I say even if some of that is true I still find it hard to side with the Russians. I, I don't understand that. And I don't understand this tiny slice of the right wing, super conservative media that is now starting to sort of be an apologist for Russia, telling us that Russia really had no choice, that they had to do this, that Russia was you know provoked over the years, et cetera, et cetera. I find that interesting. And I don't think it will it will stand the test of time for those talk shows that are taking that position. I think history will record this as an evil war, just as evil as what we saw in World War II with Adolf Hitler. And those people that are taking the side of today's Hitler, that is Putin, I think that's not going to wear well for them. Just my own opinion. And I know there are those on some of these ultra right wing internet based shows that take the devil's advocate side of things just to be interesting. I've never done that. And maybe that makes my show not as interesting. I've never thought to go as far as like an Alex Jones, for example, which I'm not using him in this example because I haven't listened to Alex Jones in a long, long time, but there are talk show hosts that sort of wake up in the morning and decide, you know what? I've got to be different than everybody else to stay relevant so that people will listen to my show. And I think that's largely what's behind uh, this tiny percentage that are taking the side of Russia, or at least saying, well, let's not be so quick to side with Ukraine. Let's look at Russia's side of this, which I don't think they have much of a side at all. Uh, that's my view. And that might make me just uh, another voice in agreement with thousands of others, but so be it. That's my true opinion in my heart. And that's what I always come to this show with. Okay. Before we get into more news, I want to share with you this special offer. And let me tell you, I don't talk much about the money involved with doing this show. Um, but this show is not necessarily a big money maker. In fact, a lot of times I'm funding this show out of other things that I do. And I decided that I'm not going to keep that a secret anymore. I'm going to let people know that this show costs a lot of money to do, even though I have a studio built in my house, even though I produce this show largely on my own, it takes money. And if you love this show and want to see us continue and you want to see us continue, not just to struggle to get by, but to actually succeed and do well, help us by supporting the sponsors of the show. And tonight is kind of a special win-win for you. If you want to do that, uh, I'm making available my internet business course, which is so popular. People love this. You can find out more about it by going to internetpaycheckforlife.com. I'm currently going to make available through next Friday night. That is March the 25th at midnight. Uh, you can go there and join for 50% off the regular price, which is a great savings. You're going to save like 150 bucks, uh, that $150 discount. Uh, roughly, I think it's 148 bucks or 147, whatever 50% off is of $297, uh, but it's a 50% discount and, uh, you will immediately get into all of these literally dozens and dozens and dozens of on-demand videos where I'm teaching you how to make money on the internet working from any location where you have access to the internet. Now this could be a part-time business you want to start or even do it full-time. Check it out. 
support the show and also get some great information that you can use to start your own online businesses. Check it out. Internetpaycheckforlife.com. Tonight's sponsor, 50% off, guys. Take advantage of that and help out the show. Internetpaycheckforlife.com. Internetpaycheckforlife.com. All right, let me steal a sip of my coffee while I show off my don't blame me. I voted for Trump coffee mug. All right, so the new book is coming out on April the 10th, and the new book is titled How to Move to Florida When You Are Dirt Poor, and people are really going crazy, excited about this book, and let me tell you where the idea came from. Um, I'm kind of, I'm an early adopter of a lot of stuff, right? I'm like one of the first guys you probably ever heard of that got into Bitcoin, I tend to be that way. I tend to be early into a lot of good things. And Florida is one of those things. I moved to Florida in 1986. So I'm an early adopter of Florida, relatively speaking. I'm one of the first guys here. Uh, I wasn't born and raised here, but I came here every winter from the time I was, I think, six years old. I vacationed in Florida every single winter from the time I was six years old. That's just something my family did uh, every year, maybe with the exception of a few years when I was in high school, when my dad was disabled from a construction accident. But I grew up vacationing in Florida. Then I moved here in 1986 and lived here that entire time, except for four years when I was in Dallas, Texas. And so people ask me about living in Florida. You know, I would love to live in Florida. How do you make money if you live in Florida? Uh, how do you buy a house cheap in Florida? How do you get, how do you move from somewhere where things are going down the toilet like Chicago or New York or even places like the West Coast? Uh, how do you get out of these areas and get to somewhere wonderful like Florida where there's no state income tax, where you can still buy a nice house for less than a couple hundred thousand dollars where there are super cheap uh, ways to live. So I came with up with this idea of how to move to Florida, but then I thought, well, what about if we did a book called how to move to Florida when you're dirt poor and really narrowed this down and really focused on some ways that you could live cheaply in Florida. And I want to share with you a little bit of what's going to be in the book right now, kind of a little bit of a sneak preview. So uh, one of the things I did on Friday was I went out to Palatka, Florida, which is about 45 minutes west of where I'm sitting right now. So if you imagine the state of Florida and you draw a line down the middle of the state, let's call that the spine of Florida. These are the areas that are about equally between the East Coast and the West Coast of Florida. If you find that spine and then you draw a, a, maybe a circle around that spine, maybe like a, a one hour radius of that spine, hour to 90 minute radius of that spine. And you go down the state of Florida with the exception of the Orlando area. That would not be included. And then also South Florida would not be included. But all of this other area that we would call the spine of Florida is where you can find these incredible deals still on real estate and also in the panhandle of Florida, uh, just as much the case. And so I went out to Palatka, Florida on Friday and I filmed a short video. You can watch that video on my Facebook channel. James L. Paris is my name on Facebook. You can find our 
How to Pray for a Financial Miracle Facebook page and also ChristianMoney.com Facebook page or the personal page, James L. Paris. So I filmed this video and I was walking through downtown Apopka, a town of 10,500 people that has properties in it for 100% government financing. No kidding, because these are USDA approved agricultural rural type properties, 100% financing and how you can buy a house, tons of houses for sale for under 200,000, not as many, but still a pretty decent supply of houses under 150,000. And if you're looking to live in something like a, an RV park or like a manufactured type home, you can get into something like that for under a hundred thousand dollars, uh, owning your own land. Uh, so there's some really incredible deals still inland throughout Florida. So in the book, I get into this whole idea of finding these value areas in Florida. Where are they? How to find them? How to use the internet? To actually, no matter where you are in the country, you can go right online and use a special tool I talk about in the book that you can use to actually search the entire state of Florida and to find these deals and to find the best counties that you might want to move to. I also get into some other creative ideas like what about living in an RV, like a camper type trailer? And living in an RV park, you can do that. And that can be super cheap, like six, $700 a month, including utilities, or even something like living on a boat. You can live in a marina on a boat for like six, $700 a month, including utilities. Uh, so these are some of the things I'm going to get into in the book. Also, some of the unique gigs to Florida. You know, what are some of the side hustles? that are unique to Florida that you can do as a part-time or even a full-time deal when you get here to Florida. And also, what are some of the free things that you can get in Florida? There's a lot of ways to get into like concerts for free and get into state parks for free. There's a lot of strategies and a lot of things for seniors and a lot of discounts at amusement parks and things like that. So all of this is going to be in the book and it's coming out on April the 10th. And I'll be giving you little bits and pieces of little nuggets from the book uh, on each program leading up to the release of the book. All right. This new story I just picked up today. Uh, all three of the major credit reporting agencies are saying that they plan to wipe out off of your credit report almost all medical debt. Now, I don't have all of the details on what will be included or not. This was really a long time coming. Uh, there was uh, a decision made, I think it was about a year, year and a half ago, that they were not going to put medical debt on your credit report until it got to be at least six months old. Now they're talking about getting rid of all medical debt altogether. And let me tell you why this is. This is not brain surgery. This is simple to figure out. There's a lot of people that owe a lot of money in medical debt right now uh, because of COVID. And it's not only just because of COVID, you got sick and went in the hospital because of COVID. It's not just that. And some of those medical bills are in the six figures for people that got hospitalized and went into the hospital for COVID. But people that had other medical conditions that couldn't get treatment are now finding that a small surgery is now a major deal that they're having to face. And I'm hearing this from a lot of people that what would have been a small 
kind of outpatient deal because it couldn't be taken care of when it was needed to be taken care of. They had to wait. And now it's something much bigger than that. But to make a long story short, there's a lot of people that have a tremendous amount of medical debt. And there's a lot of people not carrying uh, medical insurance anymore either because the mandate is gone. So for a lot of reasons, COVID, uh, unintended consequences of COVID and people not being able to get other medical treatment during the times when the hospitals are basically closed to anything but COVID, uh, the fact that the mandate is gone, all these reasons have sort of created this perfect storm of a lot of medical debt. And rather than keeping people out of the credit world because of this medical debt, they're saying, let's just get rid of it all and take it off of, of people's credit reports. Now, let me make another prediction on this. And, and I'll, I'll say that there's a 75% chance of this happening. Look for the credit bureaus in reaction to what's happened over the last year and a half. And a lot of people have damaged credit because they couldn't work and they didn't get enough stimulus money to make up the difference. Look for something along these lines. I don't know what we'll call it, like a credit jubilee or a holiday Somehow a rescoring of the credit scoring model, a recasting of it that would sort of take out of the equation problems people have had paying their bills in the last year, year and a half because of COVID. I think that's the next thing. And that's going to come from pressure really from the people that loan money. Because the people that loan money want to still be able to go to Wall Street and say, these are the credit scores we're requiring. But if they can get the credit scoring modules to be adjusted to sort of forgive people for what's happened over the last year, year and a half. I'm not saying I'm for this. I'm just saying I believe it's going to happen. We're going to see some tweaks uh, to the credit scoring. And then we'll close out our new segment with this. Twitter goes after a Bloomberg uh, author because of this, an article, this is hilarious, an article sharing advice on how to make it during these tough times. Okay. So this opinion article is published in Bloomberg and among the advice includes eating beans, selling your car and instead taking the bus and get this. If your dog gets sick and has cancer, let your dog die. I'm not kidding you. That was in the article somewhere. Some editor approved this article without even looking at it because it has got to be among the darkest financial advice that I've ever read. And some uh, jokester on my Facebook page really nailed it when he said, okay, you're saying we should all be eating beans and riding the bus together. I don't want to be on that bus with everybody that's eating beans. But uh, the darkest part of the article was to let your dog die. How about that for financial advice from Bloomberg? All right. I'm going to try to pull it together here. We'll take a one minute break. We'll refire the open and standing by is our good friend, Chicago attorney, Jeremy Ramsey is here. We'll take a one minute break, refire the open, and we'll be right back. Stand by. <laughs> 